ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. The National Farmers Federation is the agriculture industry's strongest advocate in Canberra. It's a well-respected peak body that has reasonable access to the halls of government as it champions issues affecting farmers. It's also had a change of leadership, with the outgoing president, Fiona Simpson, a grain and cattle producer from the Liverpool Plains of New South Wales, completing two terms. She spoke at the National Press Club. Connecting city and country is one of the things that I've dedicated much of my time to over my advocacy career. Trying to bridge that gap between farmers and consumers to improve the shared understanding of the challenges and the opportunities that we both face and to foster a more collaborative and proactive approach to policy making. It's so easy to curry favour in some parts of the bush by further wedging the city-country divide, by talking about us and them, talking about the latte sippers and how they don't care or they don't understand. That sort of talk, though, in my view, is not leadership. And it also ignores the fact that you can get a bloody good latte in Werris Creek or Gunnedah these days. <laughs> Even on my farm. The us and the them rhetoric pushes us farmers further from the people that we ultimately serve, the people who eat our food and use our fibre. It plays on and, dam- and builds on the, the damaging misconception some farmers hold that what they do isn't valued by the broader community. And we know that has real repercussions. So I hope that I have been one of a growing number of rural leaders who have relegated that sort of talk to the past. But there's no shying away from the fact that we do face a growing disconnect in the community's understanding of agriculture. That's an enormous problem because we need them with us. The big conversations about the future of farming impact them too, and they deserve to have an informed view on what lies ahead. I'm incredibly proud of the work that NFF has done during my time to bridge this gap. We've invested really for the first time in awareness and communications campaigns that bring the story of farming to an urban audience. That work through our Telling Our Story Fund now reaches millions of Australians every year with an honest and authentic message about who we are and what we do. We've also sought to empower others in industry to do the same. Platforms like National Ag Day, coming up very soon on the 17th of November, provide an opportunity for the people in our industry to share their stories directly, again reaching millions and millions of people in the media through in-person events and online. We are getting increasingly savvy in facing up to the disconnect and filling the gaps in community understanding with factual information and in helping them feel more connected to farming families, despite the immense distances that sometimes separate them. I see this as an ongoing challenge, and one where I hope we're only seeing the start of what industry can achieve through greater transparency and storytelling with the Australian public. We know full well that the NFF and the organisations that make up our membership will need to continue to evolve. We have to remain relevant to a new generation of farmers. And we need to ensure that our structures remain the best way to bring people together and to meet our advocacy needs into the future. As I see it, there has never been a more important moment for strong and sustained advocacy on behalf of our sector. I don't want to dwell here too much on current policy pressures on the sector. I'll direct you to our recent media statements and you'll hear plenty more from our new president on this in the coming days. But suffice to say, that history will not judge this government kindly. 
if it continues to prosecute an agenda focused more on satisfying factions than facts. Particularly on issues like live sheep exports, a disaster for animal welfare, our ties in the Middle East and farmers across Australia. Or water buybacks, tearing up some of the critical socio-economic community protections in the Basin Plan that we agreed on so many years ago. No, as much as I might like to unburden myself on some more of these issues, that will soon be someone else's job. <laughs> Always more work to be done. Would you please join me in thanking Fiona Simpson for her address today? Thank you. Hi, Fiona, and on behalf of all the journalists, I think thank you very much for your access and uh, openness to speaking to the media with all the spicy issues over the years. It's, <laughs> we appreciate the headlines. Um, but I think it's fair to say NFF is participating in um, some community campaigns that are pretty, you know, they're, they're causing a lot of roadblocks for transmission line rollouts. They're creating some headaches for renewables investors in wind and in solar farms, I think, is a, is a reasonable position to, de to describe it as. But does the farm sector need to bend a little on this issue, given the, the, the dire need to, to reduce emissions for agriculture production? Why should other industry invest heavily in that drought-reducing, uh, lower-emissions technology if the farm sector is going to hang out for a better deal on transmission lines? Oh, I think that's a bit. Um, I think that's that's a bit cut and dried, and that's not at all how it is, Mike. I actually think part of the problem here we can walk and chew gum at the same time. So we're in favour of renewable energy. We're certainly in favour of of the of the benefits that that brings to our sector and the benefit that that brings to our farms. But that doesn't mean that the rights of landholders should be trodden over by developers who have carte blanche to come and talk to farmers or think that they have carte blanche to cut to talk to farmers and walk all over their land. It's involving communities at the very first stage. So instead of communities being told that a transmission line is coming through, instead of, of landholders being told that there's been a 100 metre um, you know, easement driven up, it's about actually involving communities in the planning of these things. And where we do that, you know, there are some great examples of wind farms, for example, that are community owned, that have taken 8 to 10 years to build, but are hugely successful because of the engagement and involvement that every member of that community has had in planning their development. Now, if we continue to have developers coming through and treating landholders just like a, a bit of an obstacle, then we're going to continue to have the fights that we're currently having. And I think that's a shame. I think we should support best practice. It's been established in so many industries, yet we continue to ignore it and just let developers go on as they do. Uh, we need to reform that planning process. We need to make sure that facts can actually form some of that, that planning decision. Where is some of the, you know, the, the productive agricultural land? What are the farmers doing? How can we involve farmers in that? Maybe it's not so many massive grids. Maybe it's more a diverse microgrid model, such as Helen Haynes's model that we've supported. Um, you know, let's look at some of those things and let's solve this because we do need renewable energy. We need it soon and the ag sector needs it more than enough. Future drought fund. Heading into a roaring drought in parts of Australia, particularly northern at the moment, which I don't need to tell you about. Farmers are talking to us every day about can't, they can't get slots at abattoirs. They've got massive feed bills. Uh, there's been about, I think last time I counted, about 250 million rolled out from the Future Drought Fund just in three years, 100 million supposedly for the next annually. 
What is the measure of success for that? Because a lot of farmers I talk to on the ground haven't had interaction with those drought hubs. And does it mean that the next time we're in a drought and people start putting on Akubras and going out to rural Australia, that you will not be asking for any other support? Because that was the idea of it, to get out ahead and prepare. Yeah, and I acknowledge Brent Finlay, who is the chair of the Future Drought Fund over there on Table 8, who, of course, could answer this question much better than me. But what I will say is that We've spent a heap of time, Gabby, like really a long time in the last drought and the very short period of time that we had before seasons have gone bad again, seemingly, across so much of Australia. Um, And look, I really want to acknowledge all the farmers out there now too who are having a really tough time of it. It seems cruel that after only two good seasons, the rain's turned off in so many parts of Australia Um, and it's incredibly stressful for those people um, and it's incredibly stressful to think about what comes next. So I just really want to acknowledge all of them as well. But I think, you know, the Future Drought Fund took a little while to kick off. It's been in operation for a few years, but the the drought hubs certainly have taken a while to kick off. So I think some of the work that they're doing is not going to be seen in in a year or two. It's going to be seen over a long period of time as people change the practices on farm, as they look at different ways of doing things to try and become more resilient in a farm sense and a business sense. So, you know, I'm not going to stick up for it. I don't know enough about it, but I think we do need to keep working on that to make sure that the projects are relevant, to make sure that people are actually engaged in those drought hubs because unless they can you know have the extension unless they can have the connection to the farmers on the ground then they will fail um, so that's that's the first thing and I think you know Brandy's very aware of that um, he's very aware of the need to keep building that work and to keep spending that money on on things that are actually going to help farmers on the ground so that's important secondly I think it's really interesting and I know um, leaders are actually questioning themselves a little bit at the moment because with this drought, dry spell that we're seeing right now, which has been a, you know, determined a drought in, in a number of areas, people are selling off their stock in record numbers. Um, and so in a way, you know, I look at myself and think, wow, have I really done my job too well? You know, because we've said to people, be prepared. You know, make sure that you, know, you, you, you make these decisions ahead of time. Make sure you don't get stuck thinking that it will rain next time if it's not going to rain. And so what we've seen now is, of course, a massive tanking of prices in cattle particularly, but also sheep across the board um, because of the, the, livestock, the sheer li- numbers of livestock that are, that are being turned off. So you know, farmers, I think, are, are much, much better at thinking about this now, um, but we've still got a long way to go. We need research. We need to make sure that we can keep improving what we do on farm. We need to make sure that that education, that information is flowing through to every farmer and we need to make that available and we need to do it better. We always need to do it better. Tim Lester from the Australian Council for Agricultural Journalists and uh, also a committee member here at the National Rural Press Club. Thanks, Kath. There's a bit of a dance that goes on between the media and advocacy bodies, as we know. What's the greatest story we haven't told? Ooh. Oh, I needed a heads up about that one. Um, I don't know. I think we need more of the same. I think it's the farmers' stories on land. Like, every time I meet farmers, um, the further out back I go, the better they get, um, of farmers who absolutely love what they do. And I don't think that always comes through. You know, so often we are on the complaining end of policy. I mean, one of the reasons we did the 2030 roadmap was that so we could get a proactive approach to our policy settings, proactive with government, where we could really put out where we wanted to be and can take control of our own destiny. But, you know, the, the love story that farmers have with their land is something that is really very hard to convey. But it's something that... It's going to make me teary. Um, it's something that I see every day 
um, in my on my own farm when you know you look down at the soil and and people look for for roots in the weeds sorry they don't look for weeds um, they look for roots in their crops um, and they they can name the the insects and the birds and the, and the spiders and they you know they're totally involved with their environment it's that story that I think you know we fight very very hard to tell and it's that story that we need to keep telling if we're going to keep connecting with those urban consumers and the people who are making the decisions.